Amen. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Kirsten, and choir, and worship team. Uh, All of you did a great job this morning. I'm not sure I ever played that many wrong notes before. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm I'm a little nervous right now. Um, I'm not sure if that's, you know, because I haven't preached for a while, or if it's because of what I'm about to talk about. But uh, let's have a word of prayer, and let's pray for me. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to come together, uh, Father, to uh, throw everything that we have into praising you. Uh, God, you are a great God, and I think of uh, the words of David, and I'm paraphrasing, but who, who am I and who is this people that we should offer sacrifices of praise to you so, so willingly? Uh, Lord, it, it's only through uh, your empowering grace that we can even worship you as we ought. So, Father, I just pray that you would help us today. Give us ears to hear. Uh, Father, give me a clarity of mind. Help me to say the right things. Help me to proclaim the truth of your word boldly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I I was actually about to pray, help me not to be distracted by this thing I'm wearing on my ear here, because I don't, I think I must, my ear must be deformed, because it's, it just never feels comfortable. I don't know, I don't know why. All right, so as I said uh, at the beginning, this is going to be a message, and we are going to look into God's Word, uh, but it's also my Vision Sunday presentation, and there are two main things that I want to dwell on today. The first thing is just thinking about the fact that we so often say we're a gift-based church, and just thinking about what that means, and also thinking about the fact that my role here is to be uh, the pastor over our worship ministry. If you go by my my door there, it says music pastor. It doesn't say worship leader, okay? And the thing that's uh, so fulfilling to me and the thing that that I get the most joy and the most fulfillment in is leading and, and helping the people in my area of ministry develop their giftedness for God's glory. I, I love to use my own giftedness too. I love to sing and play and, you know, uh, write songs and do all kinds of things, but that doesn't, that's not as fulfilling to me as it is to enlist and, and facilitate our people in using their giftedness. And so I'm going to talk about some ways that I want us to do that this year. Uh, first thing I want to mention is the fact that I know that there are some of you who are gifted in singing who are not currently in the choir, okay? And as you notice this morning, there's plenty, plenty of room up here. Uh, we, we have room for another 10 or 15 people. And I know some of you have told me that you're thinking about joining the choir, uh, or you're thinking about getting back in the choir, and I want to say to you that now is the time, okay? Uh, You know, if you join, if you come tonight, or if you come next Sunday night, you know, you have a really good chance of learning our Easter music on time. If you don't come in the next couple weeks, then it's probably going to be a thing of, you know, wait till May. Uh, so that you, because I don't know that you'll be able to get up to speed on the Easter music, but between the two options of waiting till May or joining now, I would much rather you join now. So uh, feel free to come tonight. Just come, and uh, you can, you know, we'll find you a folder, and we'll get you started in our choir. We have a lot of folks that have other types of creative gifts, and we used to do something a little bit more than we do now, where we used music that was written by our own folks. And uh, that's one thing, the Lord has given us a number of people here who have giftedness in that area. 
And it's not, not just in the area of music, but even in the visual arts. We used to do things where some of our visual artists would create works of art, whether it be paintings or, or photography or what have you, and then we would incorporate those things into our worship either on our screens or uh, displaying them in a prominent place. I'd like to see us get back to some of those things. So if you have giftedness in one of those areas, please come and talk to me about that, and we'll find a way to, to facilitate you using that to minister to the body. Another thing uh, that, that you're going to see some of during this coming year, I, know, I mentioned a moment ago that if you go by my door, it says music pastor, not worship leader. As the music pastor, it is you know, part of my job to take a prominent role in leading worship um, but, you know, Michael, you saw Michael lead worship this morning. Uh, you've seen Brother Scott Breyer lead worship before. Both of these guys are guys who have been the lead worship leader in very prominent, successful ministries. And we have other people who God has gifted in a way that they could uh, help with that, with leading worship. And I don't always have to be the one who talks between songs or who takes the vocal lead on a song. And so you're going to see us uh, experimenting with different ways of getting other people involved in helping lead worship. As I said, I'm always going to play a prominent role. And the only reason I mentioned that to you is be, so that you're aware of it, so that when it happens, you know what's going on. You know, I'm not a big believer in playing things close to the vest. Uh, this way, when you see somebody else leading in worship, you know, you're going to know what's going on instead of looking up there and saying, well, you know, Wes is up there, but he's not leading. Is he in sin? You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So, so this is better, I think. Okay. Another, another thing that I want to talk about in terms of incorporating our giftedness, uh, and I've thought about this long and hard, and I've prayed about this, but the Lord has gifted us with some amazing pianists in our church. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know how blessed we are to have Brother Scott Breyer. I've been to a lot of ministries. I haven't found a church pianist any better than Scott. And I say this all the time. You know, other people tell Chuck Norris jokes. I tell Scott Breyer jokes, okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and the Lord has given me, you know, a little bit of giftedness in that area and a desire. I particularly enjoy accompanying for people. Uh, my wife is a wonderful pianist. Deb Pope is a great pianist. I'm not going to name every pianist in our church because there are a lot of them, Okay. And again, as I said, I've thought long and hard about this, and I feel like it, it better fits our giftedness right now to have two pianos on the stage than to have a piano and organ. And it just so happens that the Lord has gifted us with a beautiful baby grand piano. It's been sitting back there in the back, uh, waiting on the right moment, and that moment is now. Uh, and so I'm not going to ask you guys to stay and help me move it after church today because we have Lord's Supper, and this is going to be a lengthy service uh, but you can be ready next week to help move that piano at the end of the church service next Sunday morning. It's going to take at least 10 guys, okay? It's, uh, it's smaller than this piano, but it, this is a digital, and that's a real piano, so it's actually significantly heavier. So uh, just, just, you know, come ready to help me with that next Sunday morning. All right, the second thing that I want to talk about today, and I'm not going to tell you what it is right off the bat, but I want you to turn... Uh, with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And the reason I didn't bring my, my Bible up here is because I didn't want to put on my reading glasses. So I printed these passages out that I'm going to look at today in really, really big print. Um, 
And the title, I'm just going to tell you, the title of my message this morning is The Dancing King. We're going to look at David dancing this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the, drove the new ark. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. That is not meant to be an exhaustive list of the instruments that they played. It says there, there were all kinds of instruments. Okay. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Now that, that should be, let's pause there for a second. Uh, you should know, hopefully you know, that we have a problem here, okay? God gave very careful instructions on how the ark was to be moved. It was to be carried on poles by Levites. It was not to be carried on the back of an ox cart, okay? And so Uzzah put out his hand to touch the ark of God, and took hold of it. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah till this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. When God struck Uzzah dead, it got, it got David's attention. Okay? David was like, whoa, this is, you know, this is a problem. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of God come to me? Let me paraphrase that, okay? Basically, he said, this thing is dangerous. I'm not sure I want this thing around me, okay? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the voice, uh, with the sound of the trumpet. Now that doesn't mean that the trumpet was the only instrument uh, being used. This story is also told in the book of First Chronicles. And in the book of First Chronicles, we're given a, a list of the instruments that were used the second time. And essentially, they were the same as the instruments that they used the first time, okay? So we're going to pause here for a second and talk about David dancing. Now, Pastor, I believe, is going to preach this same passage uh, in a matter of months. So I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about anything else in the passage. I'm going to let him unpack that. 
And we're just going to focus on David's dancing this morning. First thing that I need to demonstrate to you, and the first thing that I need to persuade you of, because it does not clearly say here in the passage that the Lord was pleased when David danced. Okay? It doesn't say that he wasn't pleased when David danced. Okay? But I believe that it's clear, I think, from Scripture that, that God was pleased with what David did here. When David danced before the Lord, it pleased the Lord. All right? And I'm going to give you several reasons why I believe that. The first reason is that if you search through the Scriptures, you will find that any time someone perverts worship, God responds in a very, very clear way. Okay? I'm not aware of any exception to that. Think about Cain and Abel. Cain brought an inappropriate sacrifice, and the Lord immediately responded by rejecting Cain's sacrifice. All right, it talks about uh, in, in the, uh, the five, I can't remember exactly what book it is, but there's a passage where Aaron's sons, it says that they offered strange fire to the Lord. They did something in their worship that wasn't right. And God immediately strikes them dead. Okay? about the sons of Eli and the way that they perverted worship. The sons of Eli were fornicating with the women who were the, 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 the servants at the tabernacle, the women who were ministering at the tabernacle. And the Bible clearly tells us that God put them to death because of that. One of the clearest illustrations of that is right here in this passage. Okay? Right here in this passage, we see Uzzah putting out his hand to, just to keep the ark from falling in the mud. And God strikes him dead because that was a perversion of what God had told them about how worship was to be, to be handled. And it also was a serious compromise of God's holiness. They were not, no one was to approach the ark except the priests and Levites, okay? So we see right here in this passage, we see God strike Uzzah dead just for touching the ark, and here's David <laughs> dancing away. And God doesn't have a negative word to say about it. Not one negative thing. Okay? My God is a just God. And folks, I'm sorry, but I don't see him striking Uzzah dead, okay, for touching the ark, but in the very same story, David's dancing, if that was offensive to God's holiness, I'm, I simply don't believe that God would not have at least told us that. Okay? Second reason why I believe that David's dancing pleased God is because I know the character of the man that we're talking about. This is the man after God's own heart. As far as I'm aware, this is the only person in the Bible that that is said of. This is the man who most closely, in his thinking and his feeling, most closely resembled the mind of God. And I know David sinned at times in his life, but I'm not aware of any place in David's life where he sins and God gets his attention and he fails to repent and make it right. Okay? In this instance, <laughs> you know, David was afraid of the Lord. God got his attention in a major way. And so, you know, he waits a few months, and if you, look, if you read the passage in Chronicles, I didn't use that passage because it has a lot of Levite names in it and different things. Okay, this is a, just a little simpler version of the story. But if you read that version, it's clear to me that David went back and researched and said, what, what do I need to do different this time? Okay? 
Here's the man after God's own heart, studying diligently to see how he needs to please God in this worship event. And what do we see him do? And we're not even told that David danced the first time, okay? The second time when David was absolutely determined to get it right, we see him dancing before the Lord with all his might. If you want to second guess the man after God's own heart in this case, go ahead, but I'm not going to, okay? Another way that I know uh, that this dancing pleased the Lord is because of the way that the story is written. Let's go on. Verse 16, Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. Okay, David was, was, I mean, this was, he was going to town, you know, he's leaping up and down, he's twirling around, I believe he's shouting praise to God. Michael sees this, and, and, and she despised him in her heart. Oh, oh here we go. Wait a minute. Sorry, I got, my big, I got my big printed sheets mixed up here. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to skip down to verse 20 here, verse 20. Uh, because he, he, uh, he does offerings before the Lord, and he blesses the people, then he distributes uh, a, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat. But then, then the, you know, the thing about Michael here goes on. Then David returned to bless his household... And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. She's not being serious here. She's being very sarcastic. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Let me paraphrase that for you. Boy, you made a fool out of yourself today. So David said to Michael... It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of, Israel, of, of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Let me paraphrase that for you. Woman... You ain't seen nothing yet, okay? <laughs> Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Does it sound to you like the Lord was pleased with Michael? Does it sound like he agreed with Michael here? <laughs> Not to me. I'm sorry, there is no way you can read this story unless you are determined to draw a certain conclusion. There's no way you can read this story in a plain reading and come away with the idea that Michael was the sympathetic character here, okay? It's just not written that way. Now, I had some other things, some other reasons that I was going to give you why I believe the Lord was pleased here, but I, I, for sake of time, I'm going to move on. Hopefully, I don't have to demonstrate that anymore, okay? Okay. So what David did here was pleasing to God. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean that every time we come to church and we start singing a song, we should all start leaping up and twirling around and dancing? No, it doesn't mean that, okay? And some of you breathe an audible sigh of relief right there, okay? 
This is not meant to be normative for the New Testament church. Okay? In other words, you know, we're not expected to do exactly the same things they did in the Old Testament. I mean, they had 300 harps in the temple. We don't have 300 harps. Okay? Just because David danced here doesn't mean we all have to dance every time we worship. Okay? However, our Lord and Savior said that the Old Testament stories are given to us for examples. There is a principle that we are to learn here from David's dancing. You know, I, I grew up hearing this passage talked about and, and, and taught and preached, and you know, what I heard over and over was, well, you have to understand what David was doing here had nothing to do with the way people dance today. Okay? People dance today in a way that's very sensual. That's not what David was doing. All right? Now, I will say this. I don't believe that all modern dancing is sensual. In fact, that, that's just not true. But some of it is. In fact, a lot of it is. And you know what? I'll buy that argument all day long. I believe that. I don't think David was out there do, making, you know, doing stuff that was sensual. I mean, it says he was twirling, not twerking. Okay? <laughs> So, look, folks, no, sensual demonstrations are not appropriate in our worship, but here's the problem, though. Even when we've established that, all we've done is say what the passage doesn't mean, okay? We're not supposed to dance in a sensual way. Okay, great, I'll buy that, but there's still something for us to learn from David's dancing. We can't just say that and then dismiss the passage. That's not how we exegete Scripture. And, and I don't care how you slice it. <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't sensual. But leaping up and down and twirling around and shouting to God is an extremely physical thing to do. Okay? We see David here engaging in overt physicality in worship. And God was pleased. You know, uh, I, thought about <laughs> I thought about demonstrating for you what David was doing this morning, but <laughs> as much as I know you'd like to see that, I, uh, I thought better of it. This is an important Old Testament story, folks. It's, it's included twice. It's one of the stories in the Old Testament that's included twice. I believe that this story is where we see music incorporated into the organized worship of Israel for the very first time. Think about the Old Testament law. Think about how it spelled out everything they were supposed to do in their worship. The high priest's garments, the dimensions of the tabernacle, every type of sacrifice, every type of offering, not one word about worship music. That's a deafening silence, folks. I mean, think about the children of Israel's relationship with God as they wandered through the wilderness. Think about how many times they, they did things that were disobedient and God struck a number of them dead. I mean, their relationship with God was kind of like having a relationship with fire. Do we really believe that they would take it upon themselves to institute something extremely important into worship without God ever having told them to do it? I don't believe that. The only places where we see music used in worship before this seem to be clearly spontaneous outbursts of praise. 
like when God delivered them at the Red Sea, and they, they sang and danced at that time, okay? A spontaneous outburst of praise. God provided water in the wilderness, and they sang, spring up, O well, okay? There are two or three other places like that, but with their organized worship, by which I mean the worship of the tabernacle or the worship that surrounded the Ark of the Covenant, I think this is the first place where we see that happening. So this is a very important passage in our study of worship, okay? So we better find out what the principle is that we're supposed to learn here. And I want you to hear me say this. I believe that the principle is that our worship, we should be throwing everything we have into the worship of our God. We should be worshiping our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. That's how the Bible says we're supposed to love God, right? And you you hear pastor all the time talking about how worship is adorational. It's an expression of our love for God. It should be every part of our being. It should be joyful. It should be exuberant, even to the point of being physically demonstrative. You know what, folks? And the thing about it is, I don't even have to use this passage to demonstrate that. When I compare Scripture with Scripture, I see this throughout the Bible. Okay? I mean, we see uh, dancing at the Red Sea. Miriam and all the the women of Israel dancing at the Red Sea after they uh, were delivered. We see in Psalm 149, let them praise His name with dancing. Psalm 150, praise Him with tambourine and dance. 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands. Psalm 134, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 141, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So folks, look, you know, There is a balancing principle here that all of our worship, everything that we do in worship should be done decently and in order. We find that in the New Testament. Look, I don't want you to be alarmed today, okay? We're not going to be a church where, you know, people run up and down the aisles and rip their suit jackets off and throw them across the church and roll around on the ground or do whatever whatever people may do, okay? We're not going to do that. I don't believe that's doing things decently in order, but folks, can I hear, you hear me say this? We are in no danger of that, okay? <laughs> I mean, I want to I say this, you know, kindly. I don't want to be harsh, so I'm going I'm to use a little humor here, but I mean, there are services, folks, especially when the choir's done and they go down, okay? There are services when I want to stop in the middle of the song and say, could somebody please, please check the defibrillator back there? Because I think we're going to need it, okay? Folks, we should be worshiping our God with everything we have. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Some of us, I think maybe some of us are. But as a congregation, no, we're not. So I'm going to draw three quick applications here. Uh, some of this is piggybacking off of some things that Pastor said um, when he preached one, his wonderful message back a few months ago on worship. He talked about how it's totally appropriate and biblical to clap your hands after a song, okay? 
uh, always, always understanding that you're not clapping for us. You're not, you're not clapping for the people who sang. You're clapping to say, yes, I believe that. You're clapping in a very real way. You're clapping to your God, and that is totally appropriate. Can I, can I add something to that? The passage I just read where it said, clap your hands, all you people, I don't think it means wait till the end of the song and then start clapping your hands. I think it means clap your hands right now while we're singing. I mean, we have a song, uh, 10,000 Reasons, where there's a part where you're supposed to clap, okay? Folks, look, we're never going to be a church where, okay, now I say, all right, clap if you love Jesus. We're not going to do that, okay? Because clapping your hands would be completely inauthentic for some of you. And if your worship is anything, it should be authentic. But folks, if responding to the Lord in worship in a non-sensual, orderly display of physicality comes naturally to you, then please do not refrain just because you're worried about what people around you are going to think. Okay? Now, <laughs> oh, this is a big one, and I've got one minute left. Okay. <clears throat> if we want to worship God with everything that we have, can I suggest that one way to begin is to sing audibly? Okay? Folks, you know, pastors talked about how we want people to come into our church. We want them to feel welcome. We want them to feel like they're a part of something that's real. Okay? And we're not the kind of church where the band is playing loud enough that it really doesn't matter if anybody's singing. Okay? That's not us. not going to be us. So if somebody comes in and nobody around them is really singing, it's really, really noticeable. Do you think they walk out of here saying to themselves, wow, those people, are re- they really love Jesus. Okay? I think they walk out thinking, you know what? Man, those songs had great words, but I'm not sure the people around me believed any of it. Okay? Now, I know some of you right now, I know, because <laughs> you've said this to me, I know you're thinking, man, if I start singing loud, they're going to, I'll tell you what they're going to do, they're going to run shrieking out the back, is what they're going to do. Okay? No, they're not, folks. No, they're not. Let me give you an example. I know a lot of you know Brother Brad Young. Okay? Every time Brad's here, he jokes about his singing. All right? And honestly, he, he's not a soloist. Okay? But I'm telling you right now, I have sat near Brad in a number of services, and I might not have heard anybody else singing, but I could hear Brad, and it blessed my ever-loving soul, okay? If you honestly aren't, you know, a soloist, and you still put everything you have into singing with all your might, you're going to be the biggest blessing of anybody that they hear. You know what they're going to actually think? They're going to think, man... That guy, you know, he's no soloist, but he doesn't even care. I mean, he's worshiping God with everything he has. That guy is for real. That's what they're going to think. Folks, you don't get a pass from worshiping God with everything you have just because he, doesn't, he didn't bless you with the voice of an angel. Okay? So if we can think about that, and if we can, you know, remember that as we come to our worship in the future... Uh, One last thing that I'm going to say here is uh, I'm just going to talk about music for a minute. Because, folks, can I say this? 
if, if it's appropriate, if it's okay to, you know, in a, again, in an orderly, non-sensual way, if it's okay to be physical in our worship, then I'm going to suggest to you that music that has a physical element is also appropriate in our worship. Folks, I, I have interacted with music all my life in every way that a person can interact with it. I've read all the books. I've looked at all the studies. I've, I've you know, I'm the kind of musical professional when I, when I go home after a long day of music, first thing I do, pop my earbuds in. Music is, is, you know, it's my love. I mean, other than my wife and my kids, okay, and the Lord. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, and all I can tell you is what I believe. I simply have never found any convincing evidence that music with a strong beat is inherently sensual. It is inherently physical, okay? Now hear me. Because that, that's easy to demonstrate. Just get a room full of kids and start playing them different kinds of music and see how they, see how they respond. But folks, if we have learned anything from our study this morning, I hope we've learned this. Physicality does not equal sensuality. Okay? If a particular action or emotion is appropriate in a particular context, then music that expresses that action or emotion must also be appropriate. I mean, let me just really quickly tell you what I mean, and then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor. All right, imagine if we could go back in time right now. Imagine we could go back in time and we could see this happening, okay? So we're sitting there and we're watching David leap up and down, and, and man, he's inspiring. <laughs> so we throw out a little encouragement to him, and we say, David, that's great, man. You jump up and down. You leap up and down. You celebrate your God. But now, David, listen now. While you're jumping up and down, make sure you don't listen to any music that might make you want to jump up and down. Okay. Can you see how absurd that, that would be? Folks, if an action is appropriate, then the music that expresses that action must also be appropriate. Okay? Yes, there is physical music that is sensual. The upbeat music that we do in our worship doesn't sound anything like it, folks. Okay? There's also physical music that expresses exuberance, that expresses joy, that expresses celebration, and we're going to use that in our worship. I mean, you've noticed us using that. That is going to continue, okay? So folks, if I can leave you with anything here, and I'm done, if I can leave you with anything, it's this. When you come to worship, worship your God with everything you have in a way that is authentic for you. And if we can remember that principle as we come to church from week to week and month to month, I believe that as a congregation, our worship will be more and more pleasing to our God. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor now. He's going to come and uh, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. Thank you, Pastor West. In just a moment, I'm going to have uh, Scott come and, and play a song softly on the piano. I'll, I'll tell you why in just a second. I won't, I won't speak long, but I just want to mention, as I listen to Pastor West, there is some very real differences 
between Old Testament and New Testament worship. I think we would be dishonest to say that there isn't. Interestingly, when it comes to the New Testament, the New Testament says profoundly very little about organized corporate worship. We have a lot of extensive passages in the Old Testament that tell us what was permissible and what was not. And yet in the New Testament, we find what I would argue to be significantly more freedom. However, there are aspects of worship that are commanded in the New Testament. As I shared in my sermon on worship recently, we are commanded to read and expound scripture. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to sing. There's two other aspects to worship. One, we are commanded to observe baptism. We are commanded as the body of Christ to take those who have been redeemed through their faith in Christ and to baptize them by immersion publicly so that they can profess their faith in a public way. We are commanded to do that. The final one that we are commanded to do is to observe the Lord's Supper. And that is why at least once a month we take time in our service to observe the Lord's Supper because we are commanded to do that. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper the night before he was put to death. And then it is explained to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul gives us even more instruction as to what we are as the New Testament church supposed to observe this Lord's Supper for the purpose, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that as often as we drink it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's instructive for us to observe the Lord's Supper. And so in a moment, we are going to do that. And in a moment, Pastor Scott or Scott will come and play something on the piano so you can take a moment to open your packet and also um, pray. As Paul says, this is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. But maybe you're visiting today and maybe this is your first time at Grace and you may be uneasy as to whether or not you should be participating in the Lord's Supper this morning. And let me share with you that this observance is for people who know Christ as their Savior. They have already put their faith in Christ. They have, you have already believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation. If that is true about you, and if you are living an obedient life, not perfect, but you are living in a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, we would invite you to partake with us. However, as Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11, that whoever eats and drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And I would, I would urge you that if you are in doubt, then refrain from observing the Lord's Supper today. If there is question in your mind that you are prepared. So Scott, you come and play a stanza on the piano. And while he is playing, I would invite you to open your uh, elements. And then in just a moment, we will observe the Lord's Supper.
um, the account from Luke 22 where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Luke writes this, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is finished in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 19, Luke writes this. He says, and he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given. Paul says, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In Luke's account in verse 20, he writes this, and likewise the cup, after he had eaten, he said, this cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. And Paul adds, as often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning of the importance of worship. That it's not supposed to be something that is routine, something that we just do to fill time. Instead, it is something that should engage us in every part of our humanity. That includes our emotion. That includes our physical responses. And Lord, we thank you for this image that you have given to us that we can remember and show the Lord's death until he comes. That maybe there is one here today in our, in our service that is not yet sure of their redemption. They've never come to the place that they have received Christ. I pray that even now, this picture would show them what Jesus did on the cross for them. And Lord, as Christians, we do rejoice in what we have in Christ, this finished work that Jesus laid down his life so that we may have eternal life. Lord, may we never grow tired of that story, and may there ever be a song in our heart that sings glorious praise to your name. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to worship today with the body of Christ, and I pray that as we are dismissed in just a moment, we would go forth in safety and remembering to keep you first in our hearts and lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Wes to come back and lead us in just one quick uh, stanza. Actually, Michael, I'm sorry. Um, lead us in one stanza of a song and on your way out there are a couple of offering plates together are there you can give your normal offering in the box but the plates that are set up in the back now are for our benevolence offering we do this each month and this offering does not go to the budgetary needs of our ministry this goes strictly to those who are in financial need let's stand together we're going to sing that final chorus of a praise the name Try to get the words for you here. There we go. Let's sing it together. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Stay.
are dismissed.